I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to Tehillah Talks. And today I am talking with Alexis, Jonah, and Gideon. And the conversation is, what do our prayers mean and do they have any influence on us today in their meaning and how we can use them? So the last time we all had a conversation, we talked about the Shema, and it seemed sort of obvious to keep going and talk about the prayers that either follow or introduce the Shema and um, actually follow the Shema, the Ahava Rabbah and the, the Ahafta. And both of those prayers talk about love. So my first question is, if I ask you to define what love is, what, what do you come up with? What's love? Alexis, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know if I like, I don't think I have an answer. Like, it's like such an abstract concept. Also, because I think like it really does mean different things to different people. Like with my friends, like obviously, like I love my friends, but I think the way we like show our love or like talk to each other about it is very different. And it's like even different between me and my parents. So like, I don't like, I, I think, like it's different for everybody and it's different in how you express it. And so I don't know if there's like a set definition. Okay. So we're starting out with no set definition and me- meaning something different in different situations. Gideon, how can you add on to that? So I agree that it means different in different situations, but to try to give a definition, it's more of just wanting to be closer to someone like you, that you may already know. Cause like if it's your friend, you're just, if anything, you're just really becoming closer to them. You're learning more about them, learning about them like when they're not around you because you're going to be around them more and they're willing to be themselves around you. It's a weird way of phrasing it, but it's the best I can come up with. No, no, I think that's, that's a really strong definition is that love implies a certain level of connectedness. Would you agree with that? That that's what you're kind of saying? That you're... Yeah, that is kind of what I'm saying. You phrased it a lot better than I did. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, Gideon, I mean, Gideon. Jonah, what, how do you want to add to this? How, do, how would you define it? I agree with Gideon, but I also want to add on that like, there's kind of like a sense of loyalty too with like when you have a good friend or you're in like a good relationship, you kind of like it's expected that you stick with them. And that's also like part of the love. So that, I, it's really interesting because I'm taking your definitions and sticking them onto the prayer, you know, via hafta at Ananoyelahecha, you should love your God with all your might, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, right? It's like, first of all, shouldn't somebody to love, we can talk about that in a moment, but the loyalty piece, the connectedness piece, and the fact that it isn't always exactly the same kind of works. But then the question in the prayer that's complicated, at least for me, is the should part. Can we should people to love anything? Can we say you really ought to love? You can fill in the blank. I'm not saying necessarily God, but just fill in the blank. You really ought to love 
that really annoying relative because they're your relative. You really ought to love them. Can, can you do that? Does that work? Alexis, what do you think? I mean, like, you can tell somebody that they really should. But, like, you can't change how somebody feels. Like, I guess I use, like, I think of it as, like, you can't force somebody to learn something. You can't force somebody to feel something. Like, you can't force somebody to feel happy when they're sad. You can't force somebody to, like, be sad when they're happy. It's the same thing. Like, you can't force somebody to love something or somebody. Jonah. I kind of disagree agree with what Alexis said. Like, you can't be too many points on it. There's a phrase in German, zu Liebe kann man niemand zwingen. You can't force anybody to love you. And here we have this central pet prayer that kind of says, uh, you really need to have this relationship with the divine. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of intimidating, I think. Gideon, any thoughts on, on why that prayer has become so central, that, that invocation to do that? Can you say that again? I'm a bit confused. Well, in the, in the Via Hafta, we're kind of told, you know, you should love and annoy your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, which I command, I mean, it goes on, right, of how you should be doing that and that, that expectation. How can we have that expectation? We can't. Like, I agree with Alexis and Jonah. It's just you can't force someone to love something. Yes, there's every there's a lot of things out there saying to love this and that, love God, especially in the Bahavta, love Israel, love God, love, love the commandments. But it's just you can't force someone to love these. We've found all these loopholes in in law because we don't want we don't really love something. We just want to find a different way of doing it that benefits us, and we don't have to follow to a strict code. So I, I think it's. Uh... I've always thought that some of these prayers are reminders that, you know, we're, we're going to do this for you. So maybe you remember to do it for us. But another interesting part of our tradition, it says a lot of times, love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's there. Is that easy? What's the presumption in that? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a presumption in that statement. Yeah, Gideon. It's presuming that you like yourself as well because there but it's also presuming that you will act that you are always going to treat your neighbors and that you're always going to love your neighbors when you could also have the really annoying neighbors that always let their dog poop on your lawn like you're not going to really love them you're just going to be mildly annoyed by them but but to, to your first point the assumption is that you love yourself is that easy jonah is that an easy injunction request i guess it can be easy for some people it can also be hard for it just depends on the person alexis it's i mean i don't think it's easy i think like there's a lot of things that make it really easy to not like yourself or to not like like the things you do or the way you act so like the notion of love your neighbor as you love yourself is like it gets doubly hard because you first have to love yourself and then it's like you have to learn how to love two things and like sometimes it is easier to love your neighbor than it is to love yourself because you don't live with your neighbor every day all the time but i think both of those tasks are kind of gargantuan in their nature <laughs> well and it's it's interesting I mean, it's true for some people caring about others is much easier than caring about themselves 
right? Self-care sometimes goes lower in the list. So from our tradition, we have more often than we have that statement made, the statement is made so many more times. We were slaves in the land of Egypt. Remember that you too were a stranger. I mean, that gets said in a lot of different forms and it's repeated again and again and again and again, as opposed to love your neighbor as yourself, not as many times. Why do you think one is easier than the other or gets, I want to say easier, but is highlighted more often than the other? To be reminded of a particular state of being, even though we, none none of the four of us, experienced it being a stranger in a strange land personally, though some of us have had parents who've experienced it, but nonetheless, not the way it's it's referred to biblically. Yeah, Alexis. I think we get the reminder of one versus love thy neighbor. I think in part because it's easier, like empathy is easier to feel than love, I think. And because love thy neighbor involves like first you love yourself and then you love others as well. It is, I think, easier to remember and to want to make nobody else feel as you did rather than to, and to extend that kindness, rather to extend kindness that comes from a place of love. I think there's a little bit less of a, like, you have to love and you have to know this person and more of a just like, it's basic human decency. And remember, you were strangers in a strange land. Gideon. I'm going to agree with Alexis. It's less about love and it's more just about being like just caring for another human being. It's just basic kindness and it shouldn't be difficult for us to understand or do. Joan, any thoughts on this? I don't really understand the question. Well, that the we get over and over and over again, you know, we get love thy neighbor as thyself, but we do. But more than that, we get you were a stranger in a strange land. And remember this: what it's like to be a stranger, in a number of different forms. And in that remembering, we're being asked to have empathy, uh, to be kind. But it, but it's not. We're not exactly told what to do. Why do you think that we have that more often than the in being invoked to love? Why do you think that happens more frequently? That's my question. Joan, any thoughts about that? I, I guess it's just like more common of an experience. I'm not really sure. I'm going to frame it another way so that we can go a little deeper. The way we understand the word love, it may not be the way that the Torah understood love. I'm just going to put that. So I'm going to put it to the side for the moment. But I think Alexis began to, to sort of hit on this notion of empathy. And yet there's a parallel between these two thoughts, right? It's to take us out of ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself is basically saying, if you think you're all that, it's not all about you. That's another way to say it, right? But to remind people that our story is one of being strangers in a strange place for a long time is not to say that it's all about you. It's to say, you experience something. You know this. You you get this. So how do you use it when you meet other people? And and that's a challenge. How do we use that when, for most of us, it happened so long ago? So, Jonah, in your family, right, is anybody new to this country or have a history of 
being uh, oppressed that you were really closely aware of? Uh, I don't really think there's anyone in my family like that. Right. I mean, I, I, I based on what I know, it's not it's not part of your personal story, and yet you're being asked this question. You're being asked to have empathy and to feel it personally because on Passover we're told over and over again to feel as though we were slaves in the land of Egypt. So how does being told that make you all feel, right? Over and over and over again, we're told that. How does that make you feel that, that we're, we're sort of, it's demanded that we have empathy, that we have understanding, that we recreate something? Yeah, Gideon. I feel like it's saying that you had a lot of horrible things happen to you. Why bring it to other people? Why bring that same atrocity to you and why don't you just that sense of safety you felt when you were left bring that to other people bring that hope and joy to everyone else instead of just leave keeping it for yourselves and making it worse for everyone alexis yeah i think i think i i agree with that i think it's also a thing of like of like for me at the very least it's never it's always been like even though it had like it's not about me here it's about I guess a shared memory and a shared like understanding of like in so many ways we're the same. And if we are the same, then what has happened to me in my generational history that wasn't okay is yet still not okay here. So I think it's a thing of like recognizing that it really doesn't matter who you are um, rather that what's happening it, rather than you should be extended the same kindness that other people have, or maybe if they haven't, should have been. Is this easy? No, it's it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to like. I think like look at somebody, especially somebody who you might not like, and be like, "You deserve the same kindness that has been extended to me." It's so hard, but I think it's some, and it's like nobody's gonna get it perfect. I don't get it perfect. I'm 17, so I'm not gonna get it perfect. But it's. I think it's about the trying and the like trying to reach a sort of understanding rather than always getting there. And I'm not 17 and I think it's really hard, right? And you're you're putting it on the person to person piece and how important do y'all think that the that sitting with another person is is where it begins as opposed to an abstraction, right? Yeah, Gideon. But sitting with another person, do you mean just sitting down at a table like with someone you you're not you don't always disagree with or someone you don't like really like, or do you mean just sitting down with someone with different opinions and ideas? Either one. I mean, the the not liking is harder, right? Because because right away your guard is up. But if it's somebody who has different opinions. And you don't necessarily, you haven't come to a conclusion whether you like this person or not, right? You just know that you're not on the same page exactly. Is it hard to bring that that knowledge of your of your story, of your historic story into the conversation? For some, um, speaking for me, it's difficult only because if I don't really know the person, why am I going to share my whole life story to them? You're not. No, just not. But you get the point I'm saying. Like, I'm not going to share everything. I'm not going to bring all that I can because I don't really know them. If, but like, if it's someone 
I've known for a very long time, like say my parents or my grandparents or some of my best friends, I'll say kind of everything that I want to because it's, I know them. I know that I can let my guard down. I know that's safe to actually bring something up with them. Unlike someone I do not know. There's safety in that conversation. We're living in a time where people are, are making assumptions all over the map about one another, right? And doing that not in a person-to-person way, but doing it in a way where they're shouting about it. And it's all, a lot of assumptions have been made. And nuance has flown out the window. So you're in a, you know, for you guys growing up, this is a complicated time. I just, I want to, you know, say it. Uh, nobody else has said it to you because you, you came out of COVID and now the world is like, what? This isn't the way it looked when before COVID. It looks very different. So this is a hard moment. And so I, I want to go back to how do we navigate it and how do we use our tradition as a way to help us navigate it? So going back to the, you know, my original thought about love, let's translate that word to something else. Let's translate the word to, you shall pay attention to God with all your heart, with all your soul. Pay attention. How does that change the transaction? Gideon. It makes it less of that you always need to be around God. You always need to be with God. You always need to pray. You always need to do something. And it's more of, you have to acknowledge God's existence. When you say pay attention, you never really have to fully interact. You just have to understand that something is there and just notice it. Like you just still focus. You don't focus on it intensely, but you still kind of focus on it. When a teacher tells you to pay attention in first grade, Jonah, what are they trying to say to you? Pay attention, children. What are they saying? Uh, I, I guess they're trying to just like, like get you to focus on it that you learn. Yes, exactly. Get, focus. Focus. That's what they're saying, you know, right? Paying attention is about focus. It's different than love. But if we focus on what the tradition has taught us, what? Then we go back to what I said later, which was, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we were strangers in a strange land. What does that focus then allow us to do once we're paying attention? What tool does that give us? You see what I'm trying to get at? Is there a tool that we're being given here that we may not have been aware of before in our interactions with one another? Yeah, go ahead, Alexis. I mean, it gives us, like, in paying attention, it gives us the power to listen and to really hear what other people are saying so that we can, so we can bring in that empathy aspect and we can, I guess, see each other more as similar rather than different. Like, if we're not paying attention to one another, if we're letting our own beliefs or our own whatever preconceived notions, I guess, cloud our vision or cloud our ears, then... Like you, you can't, you can't extend the kindness of we were strangers in a strange land once to somebody else if you can't see them or if you can't hear what they're saying, because you can't see them as like somebody who is worthy of that. If you can't listen to them, if you can't like pay attention to them, like, I think it's like the first step is being able to hear them and to see them as people and to have that like one-on-one human connection. Because other, uh, otherwise, it's just abstract and you're saying words. <laughs> right. But it's like, I feel like we're being given breadcrumbs. Do, do you know what I mean? Get in. It's like we're giving these 
breadcrumbs as to how to behave. And then it's up to us to put all the pieces together. Do you see that, Gideon? Thoughts? Trying to get the metaphor. The metaphor is a bit weird. It's breadcrumbs. You know, like, you know, if you pay attention to God, then maybe with the lessons that we've been given will sort of float into us and we'll behave better and we'll... So it's, you're just kind of saying that if we pay attention to God, if we focus more on God, then he'll be... It, whatever. We'll basically be throwing down bits of puzzle pieces on how to behave correctly. And at some point, we'll put it all together and understand, oh, this is what we should be doing. This is what we should have been doing the whole time. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I get it now. I get it. And the thing is, is these are things we say every, if we say these prayers every day. I mean, the Shema and the Behafta are the most commonly recited prayers, right? And the way that if you look at the Behafta in the Hebrew, it, it doesn't mean teach your children. It says sharpen your children. Okay. Okay. So we're being told, forget about, you know, loving God for a moment or paying attention to God. We're being told we have to sharpen our children when, when they get up and when they lie down and when they walk, right? All the time, we have to sharpen our children. When I say that to you, uh, Jonah, do you feel like your parents have been working on sharpening you? I wouldn't use those exact words because that sounds like very hard. Right? You know, y'all are living in still in your parents' homes. Your parents feel like they have an obligation toward you. And we can use the image of sharpening, like, you know, when you sharpen a knife uh, on a stone or sharpen how. How are the ways in which you can be sharpened? Your awareness. What have they given you to be more aware? So I'm going to ask, how many of you are taken, have gone to the theater a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, and, and Jonah, you, yeah, you, you've, all, you've all gone to the theater, right? And is it only musicals? No, okay. So, and it's not only comedy. So oftentimes uh, a theater will be there to get us to think about something and feel something. And I could make an argument that uh, something what parents are doing when they take their kids to the theater is trying to sharpen them so that maybe afterwards you're going to have a conversation about something you've seen. Has any, has that happened to anybody somewhat recently? Yeah. Get in. I'd say yes. We've de- we haven't really gone to the theaters, but we have seen some old movies. Like we rewatched Goodfellas recently and it's, we had, and for a lot of movies, if they're just fun movies to watch when you're bored or just something to do when for family time, We'll discuss it, but it's not for finding the deeper meaning. We'll just discuss what we enjoyed, what we noticed, anything about the plot, and we'll discuss everything in there because we won't we won't bring it to here. But when there's a movie that is supposed to make you think about everything in the real world, you think, okay, so what did this mean? And you kind of just and you, I just kind of talk about it with whoever and what this means for this situation or what this situation means for this and. It's kind of just a balance because, yes, movies are for fun, but it also can be a deep meaning behind it. And an opportunity is like a, a, a catalyst for a conversation that is sharpening. Alexis, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think mine is a little bit different in that, like when I was younger, it was a lot of that. I, I haven't gone to see a show in a while, but like I just did a show like a month ago and 
like with my parents, but also with a lot of people, it was really about like talking about the show's themes because it was a, it was a hard show to perform. It was talking about social media, and there was a lot and bullying. So it was very relevant to the lives of like me and my peers and our teachers. And so it was the reason the show was put on was to get the student body to think about these things and to get the cast to think about these things. And so we had those conversations after and I had those conversations with my mom and I had those conversations with teachers I've never spoken to. But in the past, especially like when I was younger, my mom would take me to see shows so we could talk about them after. It wasn't like they didn't just exist in a vacuum. It wasn't just a thing that happened. Right. It was something to... Jonah, anything similar to for you? Movies or theater that you end up discussing with your folks? Yeah, I guess. Just throughout my childhood, my parents always made me see like movies and reading and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I, as a parent, it's like a good opportunity to like, teach your kids a lesson like without them actually going through it firsthand, you know? So this idea of sharpening, although you said originally it's really what's going on, it's, it's that interaction, it's that teaching, it's that sharing, it's that doing. But I just want to say, I think we're living in a time where the ability to love our neighbor as ourself is really being challenged because so many are saying, love me, why don't you love me? Why don't you care about me? And so that's hard. But if we go to, we were strangers and we were unseen, it may make it a little easier to see one another. Uh, I'll share with you something that's going on. And you can tell me whether you think this is good or bad as our kind of closing thought for this session. There, the mayor started something called Breaking Bread, where he wanted people, 10 people who didn't know each other to get together at a table and eat. And now this table, this notion has been taken on in the Jewish community with renewed vigor to break bread with people who don't know Jews and to sit together and have a conversation and find out about each other and experiences. So in either case, right, sitting down with people you don't know over a meal, do you think that's a worthwhile way to start this all off? Yeah. Alexis. I think it, I think it is. I had a conversation like specifically about what's going on in colleges and one of my classes earlier this week, right? Seniors, it's very relevant to our lives, but it was a group of eight people. It was a really small class. Most of us who aren't like friends with each other, super close outside of the classroom, who all have like completely different backgrounds. And I like, I think, I think it's one of the most worthwhile conversations I've had in high school, I think it's one of the most worthwhile conversations I had in this class. And I don't know, like, I obviously like eight high school kids sitting around talking isn't going to make a huge difference. But it was, it was a big learning moment for all of us. And it was a way that all of us and like, including the teacher, were very vulnerable with each other. And we had a really productive conversation. And so I think sitting with people and talking, especially over a meal, is a good way to start. It's a way of opening up like I didn't walk out knowing my peers entire life story but I think we all walked out with a better understanding of what's going on in the world and what's going on with each other and so like it's and this was like a 20 minute conversation or something that we stumbled upon on accident almost but it was a conversation that I think as a, a lot of us wanted to have a lot of us needed to have 
so I think, yeah, that's the way to, I think it's the way to start because you can't really get anywhere if you're not willing to sit down and talk. Jonah, I think this is a good idea. Sitting down with people you don't know and chatting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a good way to, like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I, I don't really know how to explain it, but. Would you be willing to do it? Yeah, yeah. Gideon. So I'm personally like a very gregarious person, so I would kind of love to do this. However, my only issue is that some people cannot fully put down their thoughts in a calm in a calm rational way they won't some people might just start screaming their thoughts and ideas not willing to change and that's fine i never really have an issue with people that don't want to change what their their ideas or their opinions it's more of they don't ex- explain it in a calm rational way it just makes everything worse for everyone else because they can't it's difficult to understand one another when you won't when someone won't explain it in a way that makes sense so it, it, what you're also saying is you don't want it to be hot. Yeah, Jonah. I think that like part of the human experience is understanding different people's points of views. And like, even if you don't agree with it, it's just like, it just expands you to different ideas. And that's why it's such a good thing. So it has the capacity to be expansive. And sometimes Gideon, I'll say, having sat at one of these tables, Having a facilitator at the table is helpful. I had one of the, I was at one of these conversations where somebody just wanted to get off the beaten track. It wasn't that they were being abusive in what they were saying. They were just not answering the top. They were not addressing the topic on the table. And so I had to just move it around a little bit. But I think all of you would agree that that doing this really matters. And I'll say to you, Alexis, you have no idea what seeds were planted in that conversation. You don't know how the rest of you are going to reflect on that. I will share with you that I took a long plane ride with someone from Istanbul back to New York. We had not known each other before this trip. I had been invited on the trip. And by the end of the trip, coming from completely different places, we had found common ground. We were sort of I don't want to use the word stuck, but we were we were we were sort of bound together in this journey. And so on this very long plane flight, we we found something, and it's it's been maintained. That's that's the important thing. So nobody's forcing you to love anybody, and uh, I invite you all to pay attention. And in the new year, just one closing sentence for each of you: What is your hope for the new year, Jonah? What's your hope for the new year as we enter twenty twenty four? Just a good year. Yeah. And what does that mean? A good year. Enjoyable, I guess. Productive. An enjoyable year. Okay. Jonah wants an enjoyable year. Gideon, 2024, a wish for the new year. For at least the first month of the year, for just January. Just That's all I'm asked for. Everyone just shuts up for five minutes and we all just, everyone just chills for like five minutes just for January. Then we can go back to go, being absolutely insane. Just all I want is January. Okay. Alexis. Some relaxing time. That's it. So I, the sense I get from all of you, and it's true for me too, is just some chill time. So uh, wishing you all time to chill, to relax, to enjoy. And thank you all for being with me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, this is 
Rabbi Linda and Tehila Talks. And thank you, Alexis and Jonah and Gideon for sharing your thoughts. Have a good one. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehila Talks. For more information about Tehila, go to congregationtehila.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.